very embarrassingly still has no name on episode five, is this? Yeah, five. Crazy. Anyway, um, I'm one of your hosts, Jan Horsberg. I am the other host, Harry Minsky. And I'm Maggie Needham. Cool. All right. Uh, so Maggie has been gracious enough to spend some time today to tell us about her experiences working with the Green Energy Initiative throughout high school. So to get the ball rolling, we just kind of wanted to know, you know, give us your background with it. When did you get started? What motivated you to get involved? How has your involvement varied over the years? You know, just a play by play. Okay. Um, well, my mom has always been involved in like environmental stuff. She was part of like Green Newton and mm is like that um so i kind of grew up like like being really worried about climate change and stuff like that but i don't think i had the best like intentions about it i remember being like really mad at other people for i don't know not being green especially like um people that like didn't have the same economic situation i guess and i think that's just an influence of like growing up where we did Um, But yeah, and then, so in high school, I found, like, an environmental movement that wasn't so focused on sustainability and looking down and blaming individual people um, through, like, the Sunrise Movement and the climate strikes and things like that. So that was really, like, junior year, last year, that I started to get involved with that. And then this fall, I started the Climate Advocacy Club. And then, so I've been working on that this year. and. I started another initiative with my friend Zoe Goldstein, um, like this March. And so we've been working on that since the pandemic. Interesting. Could you elaborate on what the Sunrise Movement is? I know I know the climate strikes, very familiar with those, but I actually don't really have any background on what the Sunrise Movement would be. Yeah, the Sunrise Movement is like a, it's a national organization and they are focused on like getting the Green New Deal passed. Um, mm. So, so do you direct like a Newton North chapter of that? Um, no, it's like I didn't really want to like be tied to any other organizations when I started the club. I kind of just wanted to do like my own thing. So it's just a climate advocacy club. Yeah. Right. So as a high school student, like sort of operating some sort of advocacy group, what are your like main form? What do you think you guys do that's the most productive? Like, like what are you trying to tackle from, from our perspective sort of as students? Um, I think, well, Newton has already done a lot in like making the individual buildings like more sustainable. Obviously we could always do more, but that's not really like our focus. We really, are trying to kind of like reshape the way people at our school think about climate change. Like the process that I went through was like thinking about climate change from like an individual like sustainability standpoint to thinking about it about like a racial justice issue and like um, something that we need to do collectively. And we really just wanted to like teach more people about our school about that and like like thinking about climate change like that is super empowering and like really makes you think of like new solutions and like helps you feel less distressed about it so from that we can like empower students to actually feel like they can make a change Hmm. can you give a little uh summary or just enlighten us a little bit 
about how it's how this new way you've seen climate change that is different from how many people see it and how you saw it in the past? Yeah, I I think so many people think of the climate movement as like white girls with like concerned about polar bears and like metal straws and things like that. And that is a lot of the climate movement, unfortunately. But the thing about climate change is that it already is impacting the earth and where it is impacting is like in communities of color. It's in like tropical areas. It's in like um, the areas in like United States, like in Louisiana, for example, where people are getting cancer because they live in these like frontline communities um, that are just being like blasted with pollution and things like that. Um, and we need, in order to solve like an unjust problem that is climate change, we need to like be just in our solution, which comes from the Green New Deal and also like working on racial issues ourselves and like being anti-racist and incorporating that into the practice of like climate change fighting. Hmm. So it, it's not that it explicitly targets people of color, it's that it targets poor people or people who are living in impoverished communities who are system systemically people of color. Is that sort of it? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's I think it's a mix of both things because a lot of the times the government feels like it can get away with so much if it's communities of color, so they mm. let the persecution go on. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. That's um, depressingly unsurprising. So you talked a bit about how one of your big initiatives was getting the Green New Deal passed. Uh, I've read a fair amount of the, about the Green New Deal, especially when it was first proposed. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and what you're, how you're trying to meet that initiative of getting it passed? Yeah, so um, the Green New Deal is like a resolution, um, not legislation. It's, it's like a proposal for a bunch of laws that would address everything from like housing to um, retrofitting buildings, just like a huge initiative in the United States to change our economy, but in the process of like greening our economy, make it a much more just place to live in. Um, and so there's lots of different parts of it. Um, and a lot of it would, be up to um, different communities and like local levels to decide. There's also this thing called the Red Deal, which is like um, the Green New Deal was written with like um, in advice from indigenous people, but it, it didn't explicitly include indigenous people. So this red organization created the Red Deal to like um, like really codify, I guess, what indigenous people wanted um in the green new deal hmm. they called it the red deal that strikes me as a little politically incorrect um i think it has something to do with their organization name which i'm forgetting at the moment mm. yeah. <laughs> that's fun interesting 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 so as as you sort of push yourself to become more of an activist at north and and seen how that 
plays out, seeing what you can actually accomplish as a student. Have do, do you feel like you're, you, you can rub off on your peers? Like, do you feel like that's something that you've been able to accomplish? Um, okay, well, at first I thought you meant rub off, like um, annoy them. No, no. Um, I, <laughs> well. I think, I think, I hope that people are able to think about this more. Um, I worry a lot about like um, performance activism and mm. like just like, I don't know, I included a lot of this stuff in my like college applications. So I've gone through like a crisis of like, like why am I really doing this? But um, I don't know, I think, I hope people didn't like tune me out as white noise, but I, a lot of people did join like the clubs and the organizations over the year mm -hmm. that I didn't expect them to. So that was good. Yeah. I definitely noticed a lot of, um, or I remember a few times I've bumped by the climate advocacy clubs and they always do seem to be pretty populated, which I found impressive. Um, on that note of performance activism though, I thought it'd be really interesting. So, with everything that's going on right now, it does seem like people are jumping. Every time something happens, someone else is jumping out to say that like this isn't good enough or this is self-serving, purely in the realm of social media. Um, so what are your thoughts on slacktivism? Like, I don't want to back you into a corner with this question because I have been backed into it myself, but, but more broadly, not like, do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? But like, what do you think the long-term effects or like pressures are of people posting these of it becoming so commonplace to be like i want to show that i care about something so i'm going to put this on my instagram story and like that that happened like instant yeah i think it's generally a good thing that we're using this like whatever platform we have to like post about that i think the positives like outweigh the negatives but I've been like thinking so much about this. I like I read this um, book of essays called Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino. I really recommend it. And one of the pieces was called The Eye and Internet. And it's about how like social media and the internet in general right now is just such like a performance of self. And you like we're taught to like brand ourselves from such like a young age. And it's so like it's so freaky. And I think like activism right now is just a continuation of that branding mm. but if like i i you know I, I scroll through people's stories and i have been like clicking on things so and i've been getting like more educated from it so i i would rather people post about it than not mm. i don't know what you guys think well i have been thinking a lot about um sort of it, it it feels like I'm not giving a lot of people the benefit of the doubt when I do this, when I look through Instagram, like I always have that in the back of my mind, no matter what I'm looking at, that this could like, you did this on Instagram and not like on some other medium where you can't get a like for it. On the one hand, maybe that's because it's the easiest platform to do it. On the other hand, like, you know what you're doing. Maybe like, like there's always that little tick in the back of my head that thinks that this could just be performative. But, but a lot of it, even if it is performative, is like unconscious. Like, mm. like they're not consciously thinking, "Oh, I'm gonna do this so people will like think I have a good moral backbone." It just happens in a more discreet way. 
no no i i completely agree like i don't think that people are so like <laughs> like like super villainy to be like i'm gonna calculate exactly how many like good moral points i need to put on my social media for people to think that i'm a good person but it's like it even if it is subconscious there's some part of you that's like it's almost becoming just like an instinct as much as like posting a graduation photo is of just like you know you instinctively yeah. see it and you're like ah this is what goes up but there's sort of a removal of intention when when you do that yeah I, I still kind of think it's a good thing. And I, I also don't don't really fault people for doing it on Instagram rather than other platforms where you don't receive likes just because, like, if someone posts it on, like, LinkedIn, like, <laughs> no one would see it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, it's, a, it's an interesting gray area. Well, the other thing is, like, I really feel spoiled in the sense that, like, as soon as I see one piece of information, everyone else posting that piece of information becomes like a poser to me. Like as soon as I hear about something, I instantly, anytime I see someone else post about it, besides the first one, I'm just thinking like they're echoing it. But uh, the, the gift, I guess, of being able to just get the information when, when it, as soon as it comes out, because it's so widespread, like every time someone shares it, someone new will probably see it for a while is very, um, easy to overlook as someone who kind of like I remember hearing about Trayvon Martin back in 2012 and albeit I was in fourth grade but I was like wow this is a new thing that's crazy I can't believe that happened and then as the years went on I like learned about this just huge history of you know police oppression towards minorities and specifically African Americans but like I hadn't heard about it up until that fourth grade like the way I'd been taught it in school hadn't come to me and in the same sense like this has been happening for so long and only now with social media everyone knows about it so even if you are sort of devaluing the initial like the spreading of the information at, at the later levels the, the the fact that it's so widespread initially is really something to appreciate so for that I'm, I, I really do think that it's something good but yeah yeah I've heard about a lot of like the protests that I've gone to from social media, whether Instagram or Facebook, mm -hmm. um, and I wouldn't have gone otherwise. Yeah. Very true. I found attending protests that I hear about on social media is also really nice because like when you're at a protest, you sort of know that anyone there isn't doing it for the individual glory because there is no individual glory in going to a protest. Like, but you still see, seeing the same people who post about it go to those things is really reassuring. And I, I will say that I see that pretty frequently. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure I'd say there, <laughs> this is, can, this might come off as a little, as a little distasteful. Um, but I'm not sure there is no individual glory of going to a protest. Like, I, I don't know. I kind of, what, and, and say likewise with like, calling them like numbers of whatever like minnesota officials to say that like um the police officers need to be arrested and likewise like after i do that stuff i don't know i kind of feel good and then feel bad about feeling good because like it's not really i don't know it's right weird. i think a lot of the like activism that i do is selfish and that i do it to make myself feel better but i don't think that's bad mm. but, yeah 
yes I, I agree with that but like especially if you acknowledge like if, if we like the separation between thought and and action like you know it's like just because you think that it makes you feel like a better person doesn't like devalue the fact that you just did something good that you believe exactly. is good. It's like the philanthropist who like gives a lot of money with the intention of appearing virtuous. Like I'd argue that he's still, you know, doing good in the world, even if it's just for personal gain, but. Right. If doing good and having people tell you that you're good aligns with your view of what goodness is, then it doesn't really matter, I guess. Yeah. Although there's something off-putting to it. <laughs> yeah. I We talked about this a lot in, like, philosophy and, like, philosophy club, and I remember taking the opposite position than I am now. I was like, if you're not doing it for the right reasons, then you're going to do something misguided. So now I'm feeling pretty hypocritical. I, I need to think about this a lot more. Yeah. What was your Was your argument that you will eventually do something misguided if your intentions aren't good. Yeah, or that you'll, when you're doing something good, you'll do it in the wrong way. Like, I'm thinking of all those philanthropists or like who give money to Africa or whatever, but it's just like it's not a good charity or whatever. Or like, white girls who take pictures with like starving African children and then like leave them. <laughs> yeah. They want something good and they're getting messages that they're doing things that are good. Um, but they're not actually. Right. Yeah, well, I'd say there's a difference there because I'm more talking about like a like, uh, like a philanthropist who actually is making a positive change, mm -hmm. even if he's just doing it to appear virtuous. Not about someone who doesn't make a positive change, but just like plays it off as they're like trying to make a difference. Right. But I feel like eventually, if you're not doing it for the right reasons, you're going to do something bad. If I may throw in a huge, huge leap, I would say that sort of, it seems like these sorts of um, arguments rest on the idea of whether or not there is some objective good of like, w what is helping people. But, but to avoid that, to avoid that mess of objective good or subjective good, it feels like if we can collectively agree that like, helping people's basic needs like shelter, food, water, like um, happiness, uh, access to education can be considered good. Then whatever you do to make that happen, regardless of if you're doing it because you think that that like makes things better overall or because you want people to laud you for doing it, I feel like I, I will stand by that that is a good thing to do. That if you're working towards those sort of collectively agreed upon good things, then it is good really no matter why you're doing it. Well, um, that is a debatable, a debatable fact or a debatable opinion, but yeah, I yeah. would. Right. I feel like the difference with with all this like Black Lives Matter stuff is that we're not just like going out and blindly like picking something random to do. We're not like going up to the next black person we see and being like, "Good for you" or whatever, because like that would that that's not what like that's like us choosing something but instead we're like listening like to black black people who are like saying like call your, this representative and like do this sign this petition like go to this webinar and so we're listening to them 
so I feel like that even if we're doing it for the wrong reasons, it would still be good. Yeah. Right. I'm slightly conflicted as to like what the goal, like, I feel like there's a lot of activism at this point as in people, you know, going to protests and posting stuff and like raising awareness. But after the immediate like goal of having that police officer and accomplices arrested i i'm like the goal is to obviously like end systematic racism but i feel like that's kind of a hard thing to put your finger on Mm. i guess with the police i I sort of take that back actually because with with like initiatives against police brutality there is something concrete to look to achieve but that's also another issue that i see I feel like I run into this with the climate movement too, where like, I feel like our Western brains are like, we must have like, we must do it in one swoop and it's it's one thing and once we do it, we're done. But like, all this, it's gonna be a continual struggle and it's going to take a lot of work and this is gonna go on for a long time. Right, yeah. I would definitely agree with that. Um, I feel like, it's very much like a keeping it at bay kind of thing. Like it'll never go away just based on human nature, but also as people, it's our obligation and sort of opportunity to be able to work against keeping these sorts of things at bay, you know, like uh, discrimination will always be an issue. Um, Systemic like poverty and like people not getting the same um, opportunities as others will always be an issue, but we just have to keep, stay vigilant and keep working against it. And if nothing else, this was certainly a jump start for the collective conscious. Um, and like, I mean, just think about it now, like the next cop, even if it's just for like the next few months, the next cop that tries to like use excessive force on someone is it's probably not going to do it for a good while. Um, and while that's not happening, we can keep building up more. Cause I mean, like, Imagine, imagine the cop who decides to like throw a punch tomorrow just because, and then and then he just goes down, like he'd he'd be destroyed. Um, yeah. So there's something. There's something. Although I don't think, I don't think the cops are. I'm not sure how like thought out it like this the racism is. I I think it's more of an in the moment type thing. Right. No. No. But even if it's in the moment, it's like they might hesitate the next time they try to use something. (laughs) Hopefully, yeah. Um, We're seeing how the protest police are just using more brutality against the protest. That's actually a good point. Fighting fire with fire. That works. Okay, to restructure ourselves a bit, just to continue on um, on the initial pathway, what... Oh, actually, so I do sort of have a good lead in from here. So since we're talking about kind of like flash in the pan type activism, like stuff where it's like it's a craze for a little while and then it sort of dies down a bit um, just because it's like sometimes it's because it's a serious issue. Sometimes it's just because it's like it's the next thing to do. What were your thoughts on and sort of how did you interpret last year when Greta kind of became like in the spotlight As, as someone who was working towards climate advocacy? Like, did you? notice a significant change like once those protests started happening do you feel like there have been strong ramifications or has it sort of burned out since then i feel like greta really started something where like to become like a climate activist in high school and like the to be a youth activist is like kind of cool now 
Mm. Um, and there's definitely like, I don't know, there seems to be a little bit of a cult around it, but I, I think she really did start something and I like hopped on the wave of the climate strikes. Like that's kind of where I really joined the movement. So yeah, I think she did something really powerful. That's great. That's really good. I remember hearing a lot about the climate strikes, like in and out of classes from my teachers. I took French last year. So Ms. Tessier, who was also the um, sustainability teacher would always have something nice to say. From Gita Thurber, I'm just like thinking about the um, sort of how climate change activism has sort of played a role in public school throughout my, these past four years. Like, I feel like we always in fourth, maybe fifth grade, we talked about like global warming as an issue kind of as a distance. I remember my science teacher once told us about how they don't use styrofoam at McDonald's anymore because it's bad for the environment and stuff like that. But I don't know. I, I feel like with the way we've been taught about it, it becomes such like a, just like something that you don't really give a second thought to. It's just like, yeah, the globe is warming. Nothing has immediately affected us. And you'll read about it in textbooks. You'll see it in like the occasional disaster movie. But I, I wonder if you would have any recommendations, purely, purely amusing, I, I wouldn't expect you to have prepared anything huge for this, but how would you approach teaching climate change to the youth, like, like the young youth, the youth youth, youthier youth? That's so interesting. My group right now, we're like working on um, reforming Ms. Tessier's sustainability like class because it's basically just a continuation of what we've been learning this whole time and doing things like cataloging your trash and stuff like that and she doesn't really mention social justice from what i've heard um so yeah i would start like with the youth youth you know and um teach them about how climate change relates to social justice um and how like it's not anyone's individual fault except for like fossil fuel CEOs mm -hmm. um, and um, kind of empower them because, you know, I feel like in Newton, we talk a big game about like civic learning, but like no one actually knows the representatives. No one actually knows the city councilors. Um, so like teaching people how to like get engaged on both a local and a national level and the state level would be really cool word yeah newton's a very um socially progressive financially conservative town i say that so much it means it means almost nothing to me anymore but it's just the way it is it's like you know have your gender neutral bathrooms but no poor people please and thank you no affordable housing no um actually yeah i've been pretty active with the affordable housing initiative in newton for the past year or so um, I think I saw you at City Hall at one point. Um, I think yeah. it was Red Engine Six or something. Yeah, yeah, Engine Six. That's the group. Yeah. We've been um, we've collaborated with Green Newton a few times. I've met um, I don't know his name, but there's a guy who is bald and has a beard and is kind of old and he's super nice and good for like and always pushing for like green outlets in or what affordable housing can offer in terms of like a redesigning of Newton that's more eco friendly. Um, so that's always been nice. But yeah, it, it was really surprising to me as I started getting more involved with local Newton politics, how little I knew about what was actually happening here, even though I've lived here for 17 years now. Um, I think it's really easy to walk through sort of what's, walk through your town with your head down 
and not really acknowledge that it's like a community and it has a, a structure and a government and it's not just like your your block and the way things run are organized by services and so on and so forth. Um, I, I found it to be very rewarding to get more involved with uh, just a deeper understanding of how Newton operates and also sort of infuriating, but you know how it is. Definitely. Newton City politics are so like exciting and dramatic and like, I don't know, and they're less like aggravating in a sense than like watching whatever like antics Trump is doing because you can't really do anything about it. But like, you know, the city councilors and so you can like push them and like, now there's the whole defund NPD thing. And like, I feel like young people are also getting more into city councilors through that. What would you say you found out through doing that, Harry, that you didn't know about Newton City government before? Well, I found out that um, the city councillors are very loyal to their constituents to a point. Like, city councillors, do you know how Newton's divided into wards? Yeah. Right, so each one represents a ward, and there are at-large councillors as well, so they can represent a ward and the town as a whole, but... So to get through to them, you need to sort of give them uh, an argument that not only benefits Newton as a whole, but specifically benefits the, the ward that they, that they guard. Like for this recent development, I guess it's not that recent, but it's been happening for the past year or so. Um, do, do you know Riverside, the, the train station? Um, yeah. yeah. So there's that giant parking lot there. And the group I've been with, among other developing groups, have been pushing really hard to like just scrap that and put in this very like um progressive installation that has like 600 housing units um 16 of which are affordable uh completely redesigned like with um transport-based development and um like an ecological ecologically friendly sort of um energy output for all of the buildings so on and so forth anyway so there's been a really stark opposition to it in certain areas of Newton, specifically the ones that are right near it, which is to be expected. But it means that if you're trying to get that done and you're trying to appeal to the city councilors, like make this a possibility, you have to getting through to the ones that represent the areas that are like really pushing against it is just a completely different ball game. Like so plenty of the, the, the at large ones are the ones from like, say the ones in Newtonville will just like sign their name on this because who cares? It's an easy way to seem progressive and they're not going to lose any votes from their constituents here because no yeah. one in this area cares as much, but working with them on that side, like seeing Newton as one big town with a lot of different pockets, it's very mind wracking to try and like get something that, that can convince someone to do something that's basically against everything that they that their voters want from them and still be like, this is a good move for your campaign. Well, that kind of goes, connects to what Doug was saying in our podcast last week about convincing, convincing someone versus like debating someone where mm-hmm. in like debating someone, you just have, you have to like use facts and convince them with like logic, which is kind of more akin to how you convince the other uh, Newton of uh, the other wards who are kind of don't have a strong feeling on the subject versus whereas you have to convince the people, the, the counselors who represent those districts, you have to tell them how it's actually going to benefit the people who live there rather than tell them how it's going to make Newton a more diverse and better place. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like for the people who are on the fence, don't have a large stake in it. It's much more emotional. It's like, you know, Newton's this Newton. We try to be progressive. We try to be moving forward, make it, make it that way. Like live up to the name. If you're talking to someone who's like, whole voter base is going to be pissed as hell at them if, if they decide to do this. You have to be like, I mean, think about the new people that are going to come in. Think about the other votes you'll get from other areas. If you're trying to run at large, think about like how you can frame it to your constituents that like yeah, the new tax yeah. revenue can go directly to this area, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Um, I was wondering, this is, we've sort of already talked about this, Maggie, but as one sort of final like encapsulating blanket question when when i think about climate change when i think about like how will this affect me i i don't like period like i don't think of it as affecting me you know like it's been in my mind so much sometimes i'll have like panicking flashes of like oh my god oh my god oh my god it's all gonna burn down or it's all gonna flood so on and so forth but the the fact of the matter is that day in and day out since i don't see the immediate ramifications of it in any aspect of my daily life i find it really hard and also i mean i'm ashamed that i find it hard but it's just how it is to like bring myself to do something about it like even with these something is that, that's still fairly removed from my life like the black lives matter movement um it still feels so much more present than something like climate change even though i know in the grand scheme climate change is just like it's this massive force that we have to keep at bay but how have you wrapped your head around it being something that's worth fighting for? And how would you like phrase it to someone else who really wanted to take this to heart, but, you know, found, had trouble like pushing themselves to, to capitalize on it? Good question. Um, I would say the like greatest myth of climate change is that it's going to happen in 50 years and that it'll just mean that like the sea moves forward like two feet when that's really not the case it's already happening like it's the reason why so many storms are hitting like typhoons in indonesia um hurricane maria in puerto rico um and it's also the reason why we continue to see racial injustice um whether it be through like all the migrants coming from middle east and then having a really hard time in europe or like the communities of color here in America, it's kind of like a feedback loop of um, the racial justice makes the communities suffer and then like from climate change and the climate change makes them suffer more. So I think like you just try to reframe it in your mind as something that's happening right now and something that's causing people a lot of pain and a lot of suffering um, and just a whole lot of injustice um, and I would also suggest there's like a lot of good articles about the Green New Deal and the Red Deal out there um, and the Sunrise organization is a really good organization and Boston Climate Strike is a really good organization. Word. All right. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on. Uh,